0: Amen. 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 Father, thank you for this time in the word. Give us understanding, open our minds, open our hearts, open our spiritual eyes to see the beautiful things that you have for us in your word. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, in the last several chapters, we've been taking a really close look at the life of the apostle Paul. It's hard for a Christian, it's hard for us to stand by and to watch his life be critically analyzed, persecuted, simply because of his faith, his religious choice in Christ. For us, we have um, cracked for lesser things. Um, and if, every time Lola gives me that face, I break down and give her a Tootsie Roll. <laughs> much to the chagrin of my wife. Because, um, and as, as much as, and, and I use that in jest, that, sto- that story in jest. But, you know, when, <clears throat> when we know our purpose, like the Apostle Paul knew his purpose and why God brought him into a greater revelation and a greater understanding of who God was and who who Jesus Christ was, who Jesus of Nazareth was. He had an encounter with Paul that Paul could not deny. He could not deny the fact that Jesus revealed himself to him in such a, a marvelous, such a supernatural way. When we know our purpose, you guys, Our direction, our conviction, our commitment keeps us on course for our destination without major detours. When we understand our purpose in Christ, you guys, it's not easy for us to get sidetracked or to slip away or to lose focus on where we are going, what the destination is. Oftentimes, I mentor young people maybe a young athlete. And I say, Hey, if you know what you want to do in sports, once you set your eyes and your gaze on what your goal is, it helps you to stay focused. It helps you to stay disciplined on helping make all the decisions throughout your life that are going to keep you on course. And that's the way our faith is. And that's what God was doing in the apostle Paul. God spoke to the Apostle Paul and told them that he was going to stand before kings and rulers and governors and all the world, Gentiles alike, for the purpose of bringing Jesus Christ, for the purpose of the gospel, for God's purpose. That's what the gospel is. And we have to bring the gospel into every area of our lives how we raise our families, how we love our husbands, how we serve our wives, how we train our children, how we choose the the harder, more narrow road. Right? In life, instead of the wider, more broad road that is more frequently taken. When we are convinced of what God has called us to, guys, it's, it's easier for us to stay in a walk with Jesus, free from distraction, free from vice, free from addiction, free from poor choices, and free from renouncing our faith. Amen. Here in chapter 25, we see that Paul now is moved into another trial. He's standing before another great authority having to defend his case, right? And this chapter talks about Festus, Portius Festus. Everybody say Portius Festus. Portius Festus. Last week I touched on the name Portius, which, which means um, large or pig. Portius comes from the word porcus in Latin, which means pig, in, uh, in Spanish, puerco, right? Pig, but um, so he was a large man, and festus means festive. So he was a man who enjoyed life. He was a he was he was a man that that um, gave in to any kind of appetite that he had, whether sexual, whether um, whether it related to food, party his own desires, so on and so forth. And he had the power, the money, the prestige to go and get anything that he wanted, right? And so Portius Festus was the next governor of Judea, of that Roman province, or let's say county. Los Angeles is a big county. For some people, it's a state, right? Los Angeles can be like a state, can it? It has more people than most states. Matter of fact, Los Angeles County has more people than some countries, around the world. And so let's just say that Portius Festus was now the next governor that took on the case or the trial of Paul. We know that Paul was in prison for two years, right? Under um, um, a kind of house arrest where he was able to enjoy some liberties. People could visit. People could bring food to him. He could write. They would bring him, um, you know, writing implements um, papyrus scroll where he would write letters, things of that nature. All right, and so we're going to go ahead at it one verse at a time. Verse one says that here we see Portius uh, Festus is now taking over the reins here in verse one in the province of Judea. So he oversaw that whole area of Israel, where we we ta- we're talking about cities like Caesarea or Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the spiritual capital of the Jews. It was their, their place of worship. Caesarea was a town on a port city that was named after the king, Caesar, right? Verse two, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. Verse 2 now hints at the fact that the Jewish leaders, after two years, you guys, of Paul being in prison, they were not satisfied with Paul just being in prison. Again, we're talking about public enemy number one. They were not satisfied with Paul being in jail. They weren't satisfied with Paul being removed from, from being able to push the gospel in ways that he was doing before. What did they want? to happen to Paul. To they wanted him to die. They wanted him to be executed more so. And if, and if they weren't able to prove in court that he was worthy of being executed, probably beheaded, then they were gonna try and figure other ways out to have him killed, all right? So we're talking about a people that hated Paul. It says in in here that they were planning an ambush. So they brought the case before Festus. They brought the case back up. They resurrected the case. Now that there was a new governor. Hoping that they would be able to convince this new governor. By maybe bribes. And other things that the Jews would do as a favor. To this, this new Roman governor. In order to bring him into the greater graces of the people of Israel. So that he would experience a great satisfactory rule or reign that would also lift up his, his reputation or that he would be esteemed in the eyes of King Agrippa. Everybody say King Agrippa. King Agrippa. Sounds like a name from a Super Mario, Mario Brothers back in the day, huh? I'm dating myself. So let's go to verse three. They urgently requested Festus Mr. Partier, (laughs) as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, verse four, Paul is being held at Caesarea. I myself, I'm going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. So Festus, you guys, believe it or not, says, hey, we're gonna go to the law on this thing. You got anything to say? You're gonna have to bring those accusations back into court? No, I'm not gonna send um, a... um, a group of soldiers to escort Paul, um, to Jerusalem. He's like, no matter of fact, we're going to hold court here, right where I'm at, right where we are at. And in doing so, we will be able to see whether or not there is anything to your case. Um, according to Paul, so they're coming, trying to cash in all their chips, so on and so forth. I see this as God intervening a little bit. I see it as God's will. I see it as God protecting and preserving Paul's life a little longer. Now, those of you who already know the end of the story, those of you who already know what happens to Paul in the end, those of you who know right how Paul's life ends, you already know where his life is headed i 'm not going to get there for the sake of those who don't know i don't want to spoil it for you, some of us who already know, so you're kind of just we're just backing up a little bit we're we're reading the scripture and we're just expounding on the passage and going through an expository teaching. Is that okay? So in verse five, Festus gives some options he says, do not give it he doesn't give in to the pressure. in other words, Festus holds to his convictions just as Paul was holding to his. I want to pause there for a moment. How many of you have ever been tried, uh, you've been pressured by somebody to make a decision or to do something from an external uh, force? Just this week, I was on the phone with a person, um, a very distraught person who's going through a very difficult time in their life who was putting pressure on me to make a decision to make a, a choice that would affect somebody else. And I, I sought wise counsel. I sought the Lord. And then the Lord brought this scripture to me. As I studied this passage and the Lord spoke to me and said, the conclusion, your, your decision was a sound decision, not based on emotion, not based on a reaction, not based on pressure, peer pressure, not based on unknown, not also based on um, a, a potential threat. You know, some people will, will try to put uh, you under the uh, under pressure and try to make uh, some kind of threat. In most cases, they're veiled threats, but in some cases, they may be real. And sometimes you may be called to stand up against even a threat that may threaten you, that may threaten your thought, maybe your imagination, maybe things that you are, that are in your purview or are in your care under your responsibilities. So I'm, a, I'm in a person of, of, uh, that, that holds great responsibilities. So when somebody calls me and, and talks in a certain kind of way and using a certain kind of language and makes certain kind of threats and stuff, my mind starts to go from the top. And I start to just go process, boom, boom, boom. How does this, boom, 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 boom. And then I have to get to a point, you guys, where I can press stop, I can go to my knees, I can go to the Lord in prayer, and then I begin to seek the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit to give me the strength that I need. And the same goes for you. You have to be able to make a sound decision, not being influenced, pressured from external sources, people lies from the enemy, deception, thoughts, maybe even our own imagination. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Sometimes the thought of something is more scary than the thing itself because God will give you the strength, the wisdom, the knowledge, the resources, the manpower, the power to face every situation that will come your way. When you're in that moment, most of you are cool, calm, and collected. Some of us panic. But the Lord will give you the strength when you know your purpose, when you know who you are, you know your identity, you know now where you're going, you have been redirected, You can stand tall when everything else is crumbling and falling down around you. That's called conviction. Even Porcius Festus said, Nope, this is what's going on. This is what's going to happen. Not taking them up there. I'm not sending a detachment of soldiers. That was already done. 470 soldiers were set, set apart in a detachment. 200 foot soldiers, 200 horseback, and 70 chariots were sent to deliver Paul. Talk about a person of influence. Talk about somebody that has some power. God God will intervene. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's go to verse... Six. After spending eight or 10 days with them, he went down to Caesarea and the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. So in other words, Festus says, no, I'm gonna go down there. You can come down with me. We'll see Paul. If you wanna bring your case before me, I'll hear you out, right? You know what we're doing right now, right? Like I, I, I said, this is called expository teaching. What we're doing is going one verse at a time. And in each verse at a time, you stop and you think about what it meant there contextually, historically, biblically. And then you say, okay, what does that mean? How can I apply that to my life? And then the Holy Spirit just comes off of the letters and through the words. And then it empowers you, gives you strength, gives you wisdom. It's supernatural wisdom and power. Isn't that cool? It's a blessing. Verse 7, when Paul appeared... The Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Last week, we talked about the charges that could not be proved. All these accusations come in and say, this guy deserves to be dead. He deserves to be hung, de- uh, beheaded. This guy deserves to be run through with a knife, with a sword. This guy deserves to be on the chopping block, on the guillotine. And they are saying, so what did he do? And this is what they said. He's defamed the Jews, the temple, and the king. Jews, temple, and the king. In other words, the people, the institution, and the empire. They brought all these accusations. And they're like, so what did he do? And they're like, he believes in a man named Jesus of Nazareth who was killed and is dead and He claims that he is alive. So he must be executed. And they're like, what? But when somebody is bent on coming after you, it most likely because of who you serve and what you represent, who you are. I told my son, son, you're a nice kid. My older boy, you're a great kid. If I was your age, man, we'd be friends. (laughs) But you know, son, one day you're going to have enemies. What? Son, you'll have enemies. You'll have enemies right now. And he's looking at me and I go, mijo, sometimes you're hated just because of who you are. I said, anyway, that's enough for that talk today. It's my job as a father to teach my children, right? Paul was hated because of who he was, his identity. Some people are hated because of their last name. Some people are hated because of their faith. Some people will hate hate you because you did the right thing. Some people will hate you because you did the wrong thing. And we have to be able to take responsibility for that too. And we could right our wrongs. Amen? Let's go to verse 9. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, and they're always into doing favors, right? That's called politics. That's called corruption. Wishing to do them a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I'm now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I've not done anything wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death. Here you go, guys. This is where we get our main point of the lesson tonight. I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one else has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. So what do we see here? He says, are you willing to die? Jesus had to answer that question before he came. Father Father God asked the son, ask Jesus, are you willing to die? And Jesus says, well, actually, I was the one who came up with the idea. So basically, I'm already dead. Send me and let me get this thing over with. Paul was willing to die. That meant there was no turning back. That meant he had already considered the cost. That meant he had already gone through the list of all the people in his life that meant something to him. And he says, as much as I love all these people, what Jesus has done for me is far greater than that. I owe it to them because of who God me- who God is to me and what God means to them. Man, that's humbling. That's, that's it's pretty sobering. So we see here in these last few verses that we read that Paul fights and claims his innocence. He says, I'm an innocent man. I haven't done anything wrong, right? So he's willing to become a martyr for the faith and die for the faith, but he's, very, he's different from Jesus in that, did Jesus defend himself? No, Jesus never defended himself. He would have gotten off scot-free if he had. But Jesus had to fulfill the scripture. And the scripture says that he was led to the slaughter as what? As a lamb. Standing before the shearer or the one who slaughters. Not knowing what's coming. Jesus allowed himself to be crucified, to be killed. In this case, Paul defends his case. Paul continues to fight for his innocency. So he's different from Jesus... Everybody has a slightly different role. We all have different roles. You have a particular area of your life that you're responsible for that you will have to answer to one way or another. So will I. Those are the things that help keep us on our toes and keep us committed to making the best possible decisions in Christ now. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And that... It's called accountability. It's called accountability. Praise the Lord. Verse 12. After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. If that's what you want. You know, they say, be careful what you ask for. He says, to Caesar you will go. Verse 14. Few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. In other words, they were vacationing in Caesarea, a city and a town that was named after the very position that King Agrippa held. So how do you think he was treated there? And at this point, Festus was going back and forth between Jerusalem and Caesarea, probably because they had a very well-established system of courts, legal cases, They had nice um, accommodations. They had nice amenities at the places that many of these officials, government officials, politicians would stay. Right. Um, And it was a place where they could get anything that they wanted in the world. Verse 14. Since they were uh, spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. Two years later, they brought it back up again, like we're saying. It's like the, the DA, the prosecuting attorney, brings up the case of somebody that's been already locked up serving time and, and, and resurrects the case just, just because, to make a, an example out of them. Verse 16. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. Yeah, Portius Festus seems pretty, like he's a, he's a law-abiding, you know, law-holding, upholding kind of governor. He seems okay, it seems. Verse 17. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any crimes that I had expected. He killed the man, right? Um, He committed a heinous crime that deserves death, execution, beheading, the guillotine, to be impaled. Instead, they had some Points of dispute with him about their own religion, and about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. He's like, "Are you willing to come with me back to stand before a, a type of a a jury, plead your case, defend your own case, and then what? Did, but what did Paul?" Request In verse 12, what did he request? To let me present my case to the king. Set me up to the Supreme Court. This is going to be a national matter. This is going to be headlines. <laughs> this thing is going all the way to the top. Amen. Verse 21, when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. He's talking about to send him to you. Then Agrippa said to Festus, the king said to the governor, I'd like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. Okay, um, we got a few more minutes. Awesome, we're doing good on time, amen? Amen. So verse 19, they were perplexed Festus was perplexed at how to deal with these accusations of Paul's belief in the resurrection. Like, why are we even holding court? Why is this even an issue, a spiritual matter, a religious matter, right? Religious right, the right for this man to believe in the God of his choice, this man named Jesus, he's preposterous, everybody knows he's dead, King Agrippa knows the whole story about him. All right, here we go. Verse 23. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has position, uh, petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. Right? So, what's the connection here? What is Rome? It's the capital, it's the center of the empire. I'm going to send, I decided to send, basically send Paul to Rome, to Washington, D.C. But I have nothing definite to write to His Majesty about him. <laughs> I got writer's block, and I can't figure out what to write. He hasn't done anything. It's kind of like Jesus, right? He was innocent, not deserving of death. Therefore, I've brought him before all of you, and especially before you, O King Agrippa. So that a result of this investigation, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Okay, so it's, this chapter is a little uneventful, wouldn't you say? But it's setting up the, the story, it's setting up the climax for, for what? For Paul. Paul now has become the new object of Luke's story. The life of Paul has been so crucial and critical to the life of the church. And that's why Luke chose to focus his writing on Paul's life. It was a notable life, a life worthy of telling a story about. You know, the story that you're writing right now is also of worth. You're writing your story right now. Your faith can impact generations for Jesus. Your decisions today can impact the kingdom of God today and tomorrow. When we see the life of Paul, man, isn't it inspiring? Not salvific. He's not saving our lives, but it's inspiring. It could bring us to the point of commitment, of dedication to the Lord. Why all the hate? Why not just let Him go? Well, As many of us um, have learned in life, some things are worth living for and some things are worth dying for. And God's will for Paul's life um, is, in many ways, the reason why many of us are here today. His writings, his ministry, his missionary journeys, that we, the church, we learn a lot in how Paul lived out his faith, how he encouraged others. Um, I'm confessing, I don't agree with every single thing that Paul writes, but that's, it's okay. But Paul's life, by and large, has been, uh, critical in the life of the church. And so maybe today, what is it that the Lord is calling you to stand firmly upon? When you know your purpose, when I know my purpose, when we know our destination location, it's easier for us to stay focused on the things that the kingdom of God is bringing before us. And we put everything else into perspective. I'll end with a story. <clears throat> Some of you may have heard it before, but sometimes I like to retell stories. About 12 years ago, I had just taken on a large role in a ministry called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I was being mentored by a business friend of mine, a very, very successful um, Christian businessman. And one of the questions I asked him was just like, because this, this dude, you could just tell how much he loved Jesus. He's just the kind of guy that you want to be around and just ask questions and talk to and, and be around. And, and I said, uh, hey, how come, how come you never went into full-time ministry? Man, like, you're like a pastor. He goes, I am. He's like, God's called me to the marketplace. God's called me to use all my resources for his kingdom, for his glory. blown away by his answer. And I was like, hey, he's right. That's full-time ministry. Everybody just has a, sp- a specific calling and a purpose in the kingdom. And then I, he says, you know, Josh, you got to protect your marriage. You got to build a hedge of protection around your marriage. Cause you got a big target on your back. He said, you and you your world changers. You guys are movers and shakers in the kingdom of heaven. And the enemy's coming after you. And I was just sitting there listening. I love it when people talk that way to me. We all have people that we allow to speak to us in certain ways. Not everybody could talk to us that way. You know what I'm talking about. And as we were talking, I said, tell me more, tell me more. He said, uh, I said, Mike, how do you make big decisions? How did you make, how did you get to the point where you've positioned yourself and your family to be so successful? To make big decisions for your your wife, your children. Look at all your five of your children serving the Lord Jesus and they're all successful in their own right. He says, it's easy. He says, when You have your priorities in order, all of your answers are that much easier. When your priorities are ordered by the kingdom of God, when your priorities are established and ordered by God and the word of God, all of those hard questions, all of those mind boggling decisions that you have to make become that much easier because now they are defined. They are distinguished and set apart based on your priority system where God is first. Your family is a close second. And he says, and when I mean family, Josh, he said, I mean you and your wife. Your decisions have to be centered around you and Boomi, not you and your children. You and Bumi. I go, what do you mean? He says, you have to love Bumi, and Bumi has to love you. And when you do that, you won't have to worry about what your children receive. They'll have the most loving, wonderful, God-fearing, Jesus-centered, Bible-centered, family, and home. The best way you can love your children is to love their mom and to make all your decisions based on all those priorities. He says, Josh, after you and Boomy, and back then it was just Elisha and Judah, he's like, and Tiger and JJ, everything else just kind of just gets blended in. You can put it, you can order it however you want. Guys, you know know what that means for me, right? That means ministry for me is not my number one. Ministry is my job. Ministry is my calling. Ministry is is the work that I do, just like the work and the job that you guys do. You guys don't put your work before your your family and your children, do you? We had a young lady whose family went through a really, really difficult time this week. And she was crying on the phone. Boomy and I were talking to her. She works here at the church. And, and, she, and we said, okay, so when's your flight? And she says, I'm not going. Said, Why aren't you going? Oh, because I got this responsibility on church and back to school jam. And I, I got to do this. And I go, no, you don't. See you. Bye. And the church is going to pay for your plane ticket, too. Are you serious? What you mean am I serious? The way you pouring into our kids and our babies and taking, taking care of them and providing a loving home and a spiritual place for them to grow. I was like, that's why we pay our tithes and offerings to take care of you. Get out of here. We'll see you when you get back. Man, that's the kingdom stuff. That's the kingdom stuff. That like you go take care of your family. You go take care of mommy. You go take care of daddy. You go take care of, you know, your husband, your wife. Get things in order. Get priorities in order. So that you can go and then prioritize and organize everything else in the order that the Lord shows you how to do it. And and trust me, I I I put God's work a high priority. My calling to ministry and mission Ebenezer and. What I do in the community and wherever God sends me, man, that's at a high priority. But because God has taught me how to prioritize and order my steps, I believe the Lord is still preparing me for even greater things that he has in store for my life. You know what I'm talking about? And that's the same blessing that he's got coming your way. He's preparing you for more, preparing you for more. Some of us are going to experience greater suffering. That was another great point from tonight. Just when you think one thing is over, don't think that you ain't going to face any more trials because there's another one brewing. There's, there's another, there's another uh, hurricane, right? Sabrina, after Katrina, on its way. It's just going to happen. It's just the way life is. That's the way the faith is. But, anyways, church, man, we're having such a great time. Where did the time go? Amen. Amen. Are you rested in the Lord? Are you encouraged in Jesus? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen. Then let's go and do it. We'll see you later. God bless.